It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 80 episodes and counting. It is now October the 23rd, 2023. We remain in the middle of MLB's postseason. Of course, the Orioles are gone from that. Maybe next year things will be better, and this time we can talk about Orioles postseason happenings. But for now, what we've got is looking back on some more of what happened to get the Orioles to a 101-61 and regular season record that I honestly still kind of can't believe. Last time I went through the outfielders and how their seasons went, and today it's time to run through the infield. With the Orioles loaded for bear, seemingly near MLB-ready uh, infield prospects all over the place, I really went into this year wondering how the Orioles would fit all these guys in, or would they fit them in, like Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, maybe even before year's end, depending on how things went for them, guys like Connor Norby or Kobe Mayo. Would any of those guys be traded? Would an incumbent player like Ramon Urias or Jorge Mateo be released during the season? Or if the season had been a bit more middle of the pack, like mid-80s or lower, you know, low to mid-80s wins like 2022 was, would they end up trading away guys like that? But as it ended up, no one from the group of prospects that I named was traded. Of course, over the offseason, we did have Darrell Ernais traded to the Oakland Athletics to bring Cole Irvin to the Orioles. And during the season, Cesar Prieto was part of the trade to the St. Louis Cardinals that brought Jack Flaherty. Now, we're not very excited about either of those trades based on those players' 2023 results with the Orioles, of course. Uh, anyway, but all of the Mateo Urias and Adam Fraser group were on the roster 
for game one of the season, and they were also on the postseason roster. Throughout the year, a variety of things did happen to change the team, but the transformation was much less extreme than I think I was expecting to happen during the course of the season. The game one starting infielders were as follows. Game one of the regular season, Ryan Mountcastle, Adam Frazier, Ramon Urias, Jorge Mateo, and Gunnar Henderson was the DH for game one of the season. ALDS game one starting infielders, Mountcastle, Jordan Westberg, Henderson, Urias, and Frazier ended up getting more at-bats than Westberg did in the game. So, you know, from game one to game one of the postseason, not a whole lot changed there, uh, which is interesting. Again, it's really not what I expected. So, okay, let's go down position by position at who actually got the starts and how they did. And these are going to ascend according to the numbers on your scorecards. So that brings us first to catcher. Adley Rutschman, of course, led the way. He made 104 starts. Ryan McCann made 54. Anthony Bemboom made four. We will not say any more about Bemboom. Rutschman led all full-time Orioles players in on-base percentage at a 371 OBP. He was one of three Orioles to have 20 or more home runs. This added up to a 4.3 baseball reference war and 5.1 Fangraphs war season. Fangraphs was more positive than baseball reference about Rutschman's defense. I think you can read this as a little bit disappointing if you want, because last year, Rutschman was worth 5.2 BWAR or 5.4 FWAR while playing 31 fewer games at the MLB level. I think it seemed like he suffered some from the new rules affecting stolen bases as he went from catching 31% of runners last year when the league average was 25% to catching only 22% this season. Now, that was still a tiny bit better than league average, 21% was the average, but he dropped way more. You know, the average dropped from 25 to 21, and Rutschman's dropped 9%, so that's unfortunate. As far as his hitting, I would say, you know, I kind of wish he had ah, five more home runs, but really it is hard to complain too much about a catcher hitting like Rutschman does, who strikes out less than 15% of the time. Rutschman, of course, was recently revealed as a top three finisher for a gold glove at the catching position for this season. As for McCann, around when the Orioles acquired him, he told reporters that he said the team told him he would start about 60 games, and if not for a couple of short interlistants, he basically did exactly that. I think, really, McCann might have been the platonic ideal of a veteran backup catcher, not very good hitting, but with a little pop, could occasionally make impact with the bat, and as much as any fan can judge this, he seemed to handle the pitching staff well. This is one position that can basically be identical in the 2024 season, assuming there are no injuries involved. The Orioles acquired McCann from the Mets, with the Mets paying much of the salary that remains uh, for both 2023 and 2024. So he can hang around, won't cost the Orioles terribly much, uh, and they're already on the hook to pay whatever. Rutschman will be entering the third of his three pre-arbitration seasons which means he will start getting the arbitration raises in 2025, but he is not there yet. The first base mix saw Ryan Mountcastle start 86 games, Ryan O'Hearn start 59. Mountcastle was mostly the guy when he was healthy, 
and performing well. So I think it's a bit less of a platoon than maybe those numbers strictly make it sound. He did have a couple of injured list stints over the course of the season. Mountcastle over the full season, a 779 OPS O'Hearn and about a half season's worth of at-bats and 801 OPS. Both of these guys are solidly above average, a 117 and 122 OPS plus respectively. So again, that's 17% and 22% above the average major league batter when adjusting for uh, the parks that they play in and the run environment for the season. It is maybe a little bit underwhelming offensive numbers for first baseman. However, Orioles first baseman over the course of the season were 17th in OPS among the 30 MLB teams. Maybe there is the makings of an interesting platoon as Mountcastle had an eye-popping 1.052 OPS when facing left-handed pitchers and Ryan O'Hearn an 802 OPS when facing right-handed pitchers. He only had 29 plate appearances over the whole season against his same-handed lefty pitchers. Of course, for Mountcastle, it was also a tale of two halves. He had a 693 OPS in the first half, 893 OPS in the second half, getting over whatever caused the vertigo and then healing that. Maybe that was the real story for Mountcastle's 2023. Um, He did also scuffle in September when he was battling the shoulder problem that ultimately landed him on the injured list for a second time. And um, Ryan O'Hearn, he did have an 855 OPS for the season as late as September the 22nd, but then he went over 23 to end the regular season. So this pair of guys also can come back next year if the Orioles so choose. Matt Castle will be entering his first of three years of arbitration. Major League Baseball Trade Rumors.com, the website uh, that estimates prospe- um, arbitration player salaries, uh, projects a $4.2 million salary for Mountcastle next year. They're not always exact, but they're usually pretty darn close in the ballpark. Ryan O'Hearn will be entering his third and last year of arbitration. He will get a raise from $1.4 million to a projected $3 million. Neither of these are great expenses. Um, Mountcastle, I guess, maybe would be the kind of guy who's going to get uh, the arbitration salaries increase more than his actual value based on what the arbitration tends to value. But that's that's a problem for two seasons down the road, I think. Not worry about that right now. But I do think there is a variable in whether the Orioles are going to want to fit in like Kobe Mayo as a future first baseman or even like Heston Kerstad, who they did not play in the outfield terribly often after calling him up, which I thought was weird. Uh, okay. So moving on to second base, Adam Frazier got the lion's share of playing time here. 106 starts. Jordan Westberg made the second most with 35. In early episodes of this podcast, I was annoyed about the Orioles signing Frazier. I thought he would end up blocking the promotion of prospects. Uh, whether your magnifying glass finds something interesting in what he did this year or a season full of warts probably depends on which, uh, thing you use to determine what you think about him. He was, for instance, worth 1.7 baseball reference war, but over on Fangraphs, a 0.3 war. At a 0.3, you know, he's basically the waste that I thought he would be, but a 1.7 war, it's not exciting, but it is plenty fine. Uh, on Fangraphs war in particular, I think Frazier was just absolutely crushed on his defense due to metrics like the StatCast outs above average, where... Frazier was minus 15 outs for the full season. That is a disaster. Uh, 
Uh, I do tend to think that OAA is the best for measuring infield defense in the post-shift environment. Frazier at the plate, a 696 OPS. However, that included a 932 OPS with runners in scoring position. So although he hit poorly overall, it still netted him uh, 1.28 win probability added, which is fifth best among all Orioles batters. So for whatever that is worth, he did have some clutch hits. Maybe he imparted veteran wisdom. I don't know, whatever. Uh, Jordan Westberg, he finished his rookie season Exactly 100 OPS plus, that is league average, over 208 at-bats, a 260 average, 311 on-base percentage, 404 slugging, 1.2 BWAR, 1.1 FWAR, that over 68 games played. And that came after ripping up Norfolk opponents with a 939 OPS in 67 games there. Westberg, of course, also made 18 starts at third base. I think he feels kind of like the sort of right-handed batter who is going to be punished by the left field fence now. He had only a 662 OPS at home. Also was punished against his same-handed pitchers, righties, a 676 OPS. And hit just three home runs over 228 plate appearances overall. All of this is a small sample size stuff. Even a third of a season or so is a small sample size, but... I do think those are trends that are going to be worth keeping an eye on when trying to project out Westberg for the next five years or whatever. For next year, Adam Frazier, he's a free agent, signed a one-year deal, so presumably will be gone. Jordan Westberg will enter his first full pre-arbitration season at or very near the major league minimum salary. And I think maybe the bigger question for second base is going to be whether like Jackson Holiday comes in and earns the second base job out of camp or very soon afterwards. And, you know, we're not going to know if that's happening until sometime in the middle of next March. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moving up the numbers, that brings us to third base, where Ramon Urias started 73 games, Gunnar Henderson 68 games. You know, you kind of have to feel for Urias. He won a gold glove as the third baseman last year, and not many people in Birdland even wanted to keep him there because Jorge Mateo should have won a gold glove at shortstop, and Henderson was lined up as the future star at the hot corner. By the end of April, Arias had made 14 starts at third, and Henderson had also made 14 starts at third. Over the last month of the season, Arias made 13 starts at that base, Henderson made 10, and Jordan Westberg made six. So, I mean, that's also pretty uh, steady from mixing between Arias and Henderson from April on into October. Um you know, whatever Arias had going on last year when he was worth a plus 14 DRS, that's defensive run saved, or plus seven on StatCast's outs above average at third base, uh, it didn't carry over to this year because Arias at third, a zero DRS, which of course, at least that's not a negative, but then in the StatCast OAA, he went from a positive seven to a negative nine. That is a serious decline. You can live with Urias's 703 OPS or 2% below league average when adjusting for um, park and whatnot in the OPS plus. You can live with that at third base if he is a lead on defense, but not really if he's not. And for me, a particular killer was four home runs in 396 plate appearances. It's going to be tough to add value if you're basically getting one home run for every 100 times you come to the plate. I would say along with Westberg as a right-handed batter who is punished by Baltimore, uh, it seems like Ramona Rios probably is too. And of course, not only infielders, it seems like Austin Hayes was punished. Uh, you know, ex Oriole Trey Mancini was punished, etc. But anyway, back to third baseman, uh, Gunnar Henderson, uh, to me, the most exciting Oriole right now. And he was the best full-time player at the plate for the team with his 814 OPS Tied for the team lead, 28 home runs. In general, I would say, if your best hitter has an 814 OPS and 28 home runs, you're maybe actually not set up for success. But as with so many other things about the 101 and 61 Orioles, they made it work. Henderson had the best B-War on the team by far at 6.3. Though going over to Fangraph's war, his 4.6 trailed Rutschman, who had, again, the 5.1. Henderson almost certainly going to be the AL Rookie of the Year when that is announced next month. That will net the Orioles a pick between the first and second rounds in next year's draft. That is roughly the same range of pick that got him Henderson in the first place. He was an early second round pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, In subsequent drafts, it also got the Orioles, Jordan Westberg, and Connor Norby, and perhaps to uh, break out next year, outfielder Dylan Beavers. I thought Henderson looked more natural fielding at shortstop compared to third base. That was just my eye test, especially when it came to making throws. That does line up with the defensive run saved, where Henderson was a plus 10 runs uh, at shortstop, only plus three at third base. 
It does seem he has some growing to do as a player. He only uh, OPS 618 against left-handed pitchers. He doesn't have to be like the Los Angeles Dodgers' Freddie Freeman, a left-handed batter who OPS 1.168 against lefty pitchers this year, which was actually better than he did against righties. But if he can reduce the gap, like let's say Philadelphia Phillies uh, hitter Kyle Schwarber, who had a 758 OPS against left-handed pitchers, that would help Henderson's case out a lot. As for next year, Henderson will be entering his second of three pre-arbitration years, so surely close to MLB minimum. Maybe we'll get a small bump since he's probably going to win the Rookie of the Year. Arias enters his first arbitration year, is projected at $2 million. These, you know, That's not a big expense, but he is an out-of-options guy. The prospects are still coming, it seems. His defense declined, it seems. Arias is not a shortstop, so he's not a true utility guy. Gotta wonder, how do you keep finding a roster spot for him? That is another question I think will be going for the Orioles as the offseason plays out. That brings us to the six hole, where we had Jorge Mateo, 95 starts at shortstop. Gunnar Henderson, 64 starts. Mateo, amazing through the end of April, a 1.062 OPS through the end of the month of April, and then reverted more like his career numbers from that point on, or even worse, actually, because from May 1st until the end of the season, Jorge Mateo had a 472 OPS. Yuck. And by the way, I use that number a lot. Um, the Basically, the average uh, OPS, plus, uh, OPS, roughly for this year, um, came out to like 720 OPS, which uh, I'm getting that as... Uh, it's like in the 715 to 720 range, because again, Jordan Westberg was a 100 OPS plus, and he was a 715 OPS. So 472, you're talking way, way, way below that for Mateo from May 1st on. The Orioles, they noticed that Mateo was not equaling uh, the April performance, and around when Westberg arrived on the roster was pretty much the end of Mateo as an everyday starter with Henderson then starting to get more starts at shortstop and Westberg mixing in at other positions. You know, for Mateo, I really imagine, okay, the new rules, uh, he's going to steal like 50 bases or whatever. Uh, it didn't happen. He stole, quote-unquote, only 32. Still pretty good. It still led the team, but, you know, 32 is not 50 with the new rules. His defense also dropped off. He went from a plus 14 DRS and plus 11 OAA last year when he really should have won that gold glove to a plus two DRS and minus one OAA for this season. So perhaps Mateo and Arias both were really benefiting from the shifts that you're no longer allowed to do. Mateo is projected for a $2.9 million salary for 2024. That is his second year of arbitration. As with Arias, it's not so much about the money as it is the roster spot. Is a backup shortstop whose defense may not be great post the shift ban worth it? Well, if he can still be a lading pinch runner threat, I think that maybe that is the case. Uh, but it certainly feels like Henderson should be viewed as the primary shortstop going into 2024. The Orioles are going to have to make decisions on whether to tender 2024 contracts to these arbitration-eligible players by, I believe, November the 17th. So we're close to a month, a little bit less than a month away from that, and we'll get our first sense of the 2024 roster picture then. Um, although tendered players can still be traded after they are tendered contracts, 
And non-tendered players can still be signed as free agents for lesser uh, amounts of money. Personally, if I was a baseball player and I got non-tendered, I would uh, tell the team that didn't tender me the contract to take a hike, but that uh, they might make different decisions. I don't know. Um, Looking ahead to next year, the infield, I mean, it figures to look different than it did on opening day 23, even if we don't know exactly how yet. Along with Mayo and Norby, Joey Ortiz is still around. Are there going to be trades? Are these guys just going to be minor league depth for the season? Uh, Mike Elias said to Orioles reporters, uh, possibly deadpan, but maybe also possibly serious, that he thinks about how he's going to fit in the prospects every day of his life. I got to imagine that's going to continue over the next several months as decisions are being made through this offseason. And, you know, I'm going to be thinking about that, too. Let's dip into the mailbag before we wrap up. This one came in uh, back on October 1st from listener David. I've put it off until now. I think it is a bit depressing, and I decided no depressing topics until after the postseason. So, uh, well, after the Orioles part of the postseason. So here we are. David writes, I know if the Orioles fail to complete extensions for their young stars in the near future, this topic will result in great angst. However, don't most extensions sour? Trout with the Angels through uh, 2030, Lindor with the Mets through 2031, Stanton with the Yankees through 2028, Steven Strasburg's contract uh, with the Nationals that he is maybe retiring his way out of, or the Nationals are paying him to go away, uh, or even Wander Franco with the Tampa Bay Rays. David asks, would you rather the Orioles have the current Machado at $350 million on the books or Dean Kramer currently on the team? If the pipeline can be maintained, maybe it's okay to say goodbye to some of our current favorite players when the time arrived and they're not young anymore. David, thank you for writing in. I will say in response to your last question that, yes, we should prepare ourselves to say goodbye to some players, perhaps even all of the players, when they are not young anymore. Um, One of the reasons why I think the previous era of the Orioles, the Dan Duquette Buck Showalter era, went down into the tank is that they did not prepare themselves to say goodbye. The Buck slogan was, I like our guys, and he kept those guys really to the bitter end or tried his best to do so. And, um, you know, we saw where that ended up in 2018. Um, But as far as players to say goodbye to, I mean, mostly I think this applies to Adley Rutschman, whose first year of free agent contract will be his age 30 season. I am happy Adley is on the team right now. I don't think that uh, adding years beyond 30 is going to end up being good for most catchers. Um, To a lesser extent, and applying sooner will be the same uh, phenomenon for guys like Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Anthony Santander. Having said that, I will also note, I feel there's some apples to oranges uh, comparison going on between... David's examples and people, Orioles fans mostly want to see extensions for, which would be like Gunnar Henderson or once he debuts, Jackson Holiday. And at, just to emphasize this again, neither of these will happen probably because Scott Boris is the agent for both of those players. I really cannot more strongly urge anyone not to get their hopes up for these outcomes. They're going to probably play their six or seven years, go be free agents, go sign somewhere and you know, uh, I hope they're good while they're Orioles. So there's a difference, you know, between the wanting a, uh, a contract to be given out to a guy who's 23, 22, whatever. And the, uh, the contracts that David named, like 
I mean, the Angels' problem with Mike Trout wasn't that they gave him a contract extension because the first one they gave him was $144.5 million running from 2015 to 2020, during which time Mike Trout earned an eye-popping 46.7 BWAR, nearly uh, a Hall of Fame career just those years. But what is hurting the Angels is that Trout has then been hurt a lot during the second extension he signed that uh, tore up the final two years of that original extension and added on through uh, the 2030. Even so, Trout has already added another 20.7 war just since his new contract came out. I think he figures to still have some four-win seasons in the tank when he's able to play more like 120 or 130 games rather than being limited as he has been in some of the more recent years. And I, in a similar way, citing Steven Strasburg with the Nats, uh, you know, it's, it's much the same because the first Strasburg contract was good. The Nationals signed Strasburg to a seven-year, $175 million extension that uh, they reached during the 2016 season. The first year of it was 2017. That was a rare Scott Boris client making a pre-free agent deal. And uh, Strasburg was worth 14.3 war in those three seasons before opting out. And that included winning the World Series MVP in 2019 when the Nationals won it all there. That was a great deal. The problem for them was re-signing him after the opt-out. And I think Machado may turn out the same way. The $350 million that David brought up happened only after Machado threatened to opt-out following this season. Uh, That was as if that scared the Padres' owner into inking a new contract almost immediately. And so that's what it got. Machado was worth 20.5 war from 2019 to 2023, a five-year stretch during which he made $130 million. That is worth it, man. I would have rather had that on the Orioles than have Dean Kramer on the Orioles, uh, you know, right now and for the next three years. Um, Of course, it it would have been irrelevant since the Orioles were in the tank, but if Machado could have stuck around and been part of a good Orioles team, which was not the way it worked out, that first extension or the first free agent contract, I think would have been a good one. Uh, I do think the Padres will probably look like they're um, going to be better off if they had let him opt out after this year, but that's not not the way it worked out. Uh, too bad for them. Wander Franco, he is his own special case. Uh, his, his contract, it's not going to hurt the Rays if he is unable to play due to the uh, the criminal allegations made against him. If that effectively ends his career, he's not going to get paid. So the only thing I think the Rays are out is they planned out a future that involved him and for reasons that have nothing to do with play on the baseball diamond or even, you know, injuries to his body. Uh, it's not going to work out like that. Um, Francisco Lindor, he did sign for 10 years before his age 28 season. He's been worth 11.5 war in the first two years of those deal. Maybe the Mets will regret that in the long run. But again, the guys that we, I think, I don't know about you, but I would like to see the Orioles sign for maybe 10 to 12 years. They're not 28. The only real cautionary tale, I think, among those David cited is probably Stanton, a 13-year contract signed before his age 25 season. So yes, the Orioles should be careful signing big six-foot, six-inch power hitters to 13-year deals. That was some deadpan sarcasm on my part. The Orioles, they don't have any Stanton physique kind of guys uh, that I think are in, in line for extension. So... It would be nice, I think, to see 
the Orioles follow the example of the Rays, give out a contract like Brandon Lau's six-year, $24 million extension they gave him early in his career, team options taking that up to an eight-year contract, or Atlanta contracts like uh, what's been given out to Matt Olson, an eight-year, $168 million deal. Mind you, that's a special case. He's an Atlanta home guy, whatever, but they also have Michael Harris II getting eight years and $72 million. Spencer Strider, six years, $75 million. Again, it's not going to be Rutschman, I think, for age reasons. Um, probably for Boris reasons, it's not going to be Henderson or Holiday. Those guys otherwise would be great candidates to sign for like 10 years soon after debuting. Very comparable to Henderson in the National League is Corbin Carroll, who at the beginning of this year signed an eight-year, $111 million contract extension with the Diamondbacks with one possible club option year. He is the near certain National League Rookie of the Year. You know, that would have been a great deal to have given Henderson before this year gets uh, two, maybe three more years on top of um, Henderson's team control years than he would have gotten otherwise, lock in some cost certainty. But that's not how the Boris guys are likely to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I cannot get my hopes up for that. But, you know, that's the guy we want to get the 10 years, the 12 years or whatever, not, uh, not any of the players who are already a little old to be signing through, you know, if you give them 12 years and then they're 37 at the end. No, that's not what anybody wants. So I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. Uh, it is a little angst inducing, I guess, but you know, the Orioles were just 101 and 61. So certainly, um, we should hope to not have to worry about too much carrying over a lot of the same team heading into next year. So David, thank you again for writing in and to everyone who has written in so far Thank you. If anyone out there would like to get a question in for the queue to come up through the offseason, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. That is all that I've got for today. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe on your favorite platform and tell someone you know about it. For the offseason, new episodes will be out every Monday for as long as I can manage it. So I will be back next Monday, the 30th of October, to talk about the 2023 Orioles rotation. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown, signing off.